Lord, thank you for um, your gospel. Lord, thank you for the story of the Bible, Lord. Uh, even as Daniel was saying, Jesus, that it is, um, you're the central character. I know, Lord, that we come in sometimes and we are looking for our place. We're looking to know where do we fit. I pray, God, that you would use your word this morning to uh, speak to our hearts. Uh, Lord, what I, I don't know a lot, but what I do know about you is that uh, for every person in this room, you have loved them with an everlasting love. And this morning, they may not feel great about themselves, but Lord, you are thrilled to see them. God, I pray that your spirit would move throughout this room to speak, uh, to go after places in our lives, Lord, where maybe we are somewhat closed off and calloused. Uh, Lord, would you use this time to move us closer to you? And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. We're in Luke's gospel. Even if this is your first time here, that's okay. Um, we're in Luke chapter 21. What I believe about the Spirit of God is that He knows exactly where you are. Uh, one of the greatest things to reflect on and to think about is He knows where to find you. Uh, he knows where you sleep. He knows your routines. He knows the things that you're worried about, that you're anxious about. He knows the thing that you're wondering about that's going to happen tomorrow. He's got it. And so it's a good thing to remember this morning that you're right on time. Okay, you're right on time. The Lord has you here. But as we look at God's word, um, I want you to hear his heart for you this morning. Uh, the title of today is It's Going to Hit the Fan. Um, and it just seemed appropriate for where we're headed. Um, I'll explain a little bit. Um, but first, let me tell you about this author named Stephen James. Um, he's a good author. He writes fiction, but he also writes books about telling stories and, and what makes a great story. And so he talks about subbing in this little kid's classroom after summer break. And he started the day with like, hey, let's tell stories about summer break. And he goes, kids were like, yeah, I got a story. I went to my grandma's house. Everybody's like, awesome. I play with my cousin. Okay, good job. Anybody else? I played video games. And so everybody's kind of like, okay, okay. And they're starting to raise their hands. And then this one boy said, I had a competition with my cousin where we saw who could jump off the top bunk farthest. And everybody's like, okay. He said, so he went first and he went pretty far. And the, Stephen James says, the guy was a natural storyteller, just a little kid. Everybody's like hanging on his words. He goes, but then I got up to the top and he goes, and I just like kind of started rearing back and I took a flying leap off that tump, but top egg bunk. And he said, and there's a ceiling fan going in the middle of the room. <laughs> and my head got caught in the ceiling fan and it flung me around against the wall. So everybody's like, <gasps> and then he goes, but I got farther. <laughs> I won the competition. So today is a ceiling fan story. This is the story that Jesus tells where the world's head gets stuck in the ceiling fan and it's difficult. And so Luke 22, this is the passage. These are some of them. There are other ones, but this is the passage that if you have movies and books and what ifs and oh my goodness, we should join this group. Cults have been formed. 
based on passages like this. People flip out. People try to figure out. They chart it. They find out. They say, this is that. Everybody run for the hills. These are those passages. And so we want to know what we're supposed to do with them. What are we supposed to do with something like this? So we're going to jump right in. Luke 21, verse 5. Um, know that the Spirit of God is here. He will help you. He will give you. I always look for when I'm listening to somebody, I'm listening for one thing. Okay? Not comprehension of everything. I'm listening for one thing where I know God is saying, Chad, this is what I want you to hear today. And so he spoke to me this week. Uh, and I'm going to let you in on that. But you listen for you. And hopefully this will guide you. So Luke 5, Luke 21, verse 5. Here we go. While some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings. So he's looking at the temple. It was a magnificent structure. Took 46 years to build. Now we don't take that long to build things anymore, but 46 years to build this temple. So massive, beautiful. They're all looking at it. They're like, wow, look at this temple. It's awesome. Jesus says, well, let's look at that temple. Let's, let's look at it. Verse six, he says, as for these things, this grand temple that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another. It's going down. Everything will be destroyed. Everything will be, there's nothing here that won't be thrown down. And so they say, um, okay, teacher, <clears throat> excuse me, when, when will this happen? And what will be the sign that these things are about to take place. Why do you think people asked what will be the sign? Probably so they would know not to be in the place when it happened. Here's the sign. I'm out of here. Let's go. What will be the sign? And so Jesus says, see that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am he. Many will come saying, I'm Jesus. I'm the anointed one. I'm the Messiah. Has anybody in this room ever had somebody walk up to them and say, I am Jesus. I haven't. I don't know. I don't know where that's, when's that going to happen? And so we've, we've pictured as this like, oh no, somebody will come and it'll be the fake Jesus. But he's saying that many will come in my name and say, I am he. And they'll say, this is it. The time is at hand. And he says, listen, don't, don't listen to them. Don't go after them. Don't follow them. When you hear of wars and tumults, how many people use that word on a regular basis? Nobody. <laughs> listen, the other day I had this tumult. It's like this growth. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but we know it's a bad word. It's like, this is a bad thing that happened. Wars and tumults. Do not be terrified. Don't be afraid. These things must first take place. But the end. Think about what he just said. Those two words right there. The end of what? Of everything. Of everything. The end will not be done all at once. And then he said to them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There's going to be great earthquakes in various places, famines and pestilences. Can anybody say COVID? There will be terrors and great signs from heaven. The end, the end of everything. Lord, this is so encouraging. <laughs> I feel so warm. It's like a hot chocolate Bible moment. Just, mmm. Love it. No, we don't. We're like, <laughs> whoa, it's got another sermon or something, Lord. But it's God's word, which so what that means is it's time travels. It's come to us today. It's supposed to be applicable to our hearts. It's God breathes. He wants us to hear. So what do we do with it? So look at verse six again. The days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another. And you're like, 
I don't even know what you're talking about. I've never been there. To what I understand, there's not even a temple there anymore. So who cares? Well, let's think about our biggest cities. Let's think about Minneapolis, St. Paul, Chicago, Los Angeles, London, Paris. Not one building standing. Not one institution, not one structure, everything going down. To which most of us would say, (laughs) yeah, right. Yeah, right. Do you ever do this with your friends when they start saying something you don't agree and you're like, do that sometime in a conversation, even if you don't, even if you do agree, just as they start talking, just do this. (laughs) If you're in class tomorrow, your teacher starts teaching, just do this. What if people, people will know, like, what, what, what's wrong with you? Or like when you roll your eyes and you say, did you roll your eyes? Like, I didn't roll my eyes. Or you make a noise. <laughs> you ever done that to somebody? <laughs> I heard that. I know what you're doing. This is what people had to be doing to listen to Jesus. They're like, you don't know what you're talking about. There's no way this can come down. So let's imagine you were invited on this amazing trip. And so amazing that it was going to cost $100,000 per person. And you will not only be traveling in style, when you stay somewhere, it's five star plus whatever that is. You know, resorts. Who who comes up with the stars? That's what I want to know. So five stars, you're like, this is bougie. This is pish posh. This is awesome. What an amazing place. And then you get to go eat. And I love eating. And I love great food. And I love to talk about it. You can just ask anybody that works with me. Anybody that knows me. Like next week, we're having yard bird and bacon that walks around, you know, chicken and pig, pulled pork. Like we're so excited to feed you and to celebrate Jesus. You got to come 1030. But I love talking about food. So imagine somebody says, it's going to be the greatest meal you've ever had in your life. Nine courses, nine. I didn't even know they made that many. Nine courses, the kind of meal that has things in between the courses to cleanse your palate. I thought that's what a toothbrush was for. But cleanse your palate because, oh, you know, you got to do this so that you can taste the next thing. It'd be great. So I'm like, okay. On the menu is oysters. Eh. Yeah. Now, I know some people love oysters. No, thank you. Foie gras. Duck pate. Some people are like, yes, duck pate. Now, filet mignon, I can get behind. I'm all about that. But filet mignon's on the menu. Roast potatoes, dessert, all this stuff. And it's like, yes, yes, okay, okay. You talked me into it. $100,000 trip, nine-course meal, five-star luxurious. I'm saying that I'll go. Let's do it. What could go wrong, right? Let's just do it. This really happened. April 14th, 1912. People were traveling, staying, dining this way, and they were aboard the HMS Titanic. Now, if you knew what was going to happen later, you might not just sit there and keep eating. You might say, I got to get off this boat. Do you know Jesus just walked up to the first class table in Jerusalem and said, this ship will sink. It's going down. And everybody's like, nah, this is amazing. Look how big this thing is. It can't go down. It's unsinkable. Look at all that we've accomplished. What's going to be the sign? Tell us. Well, first of all, there's going to be a lot of fakes that you should be aware of. Nation against nation, kingdom against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places, famines, pestilences, terrors, great signs from heaven. There's a reason these verses aren't on bumper stickers. (laughs) 
<laughs> you don't put on your coffee mug, terror and pestilence is coming. <laughs> hey, right? It's not on a bookmark for you to go, ah, that's so encouraging. It's, but Jesus is saying, hey, this is important. Oh, is that all, Jesus? What am I supposed to do with this? Imagine hypothetical conversation with your toddler. And I remember putting ours to bed in their little PJs and they just had their bath. And so it's like their hair's kind of dry, but then the ends are still a little wet and they smell amazing and they're soft and they're cuddly. They don't want to go to bed, but you're trying to get them to go to bed. And we used to like lay them down in their bed and rub their backs and sing, God is so good. And they lift their head up. You're like, no, God is, <laughs> you know, the whole deal. Everybody knows this deal. And we would say, we'd kiss them and we'd, you know, put them dead. And we'd say, mommy and daddy love you. It's time for bed. And eventually they're starting to drift off to sleep. And imagine if I leaned in and I was like, hey, by the way, did you know that one day you're going to die? <laughs> Everybody's going to die. Okay, good night. <laughs> we wouldn't do that. And yet Jesus just said, it's going down. It's going down for real. The whole thing is going to sink. Jesus, this is a mountain of information. And I don't know how to hug a mountain. I don't know how to get my arms around it. So I was wrestling through this passage this week. And that's something you can be assured of is that anybody who gets up front here is never sitting and studying going, what do they need to hear? I better tell them something. We all sit with the Lord and we say, please speak to me. Tell me what you want to say to me. And then our goal is at the end of a week or two of studying is we kind of open the door to the car that we've been riding around with Jesus. And we say, hey, you guys want to get in for the last little leg on Sunday morning? So I asked Jesus, what am I supposed to do with this kind of passage? How do I even get my arms around it? And I just sensed him kind of doing this like, come here, just, just pulling me in close and saying, I don't, want you to, I don't want you to focus on the details. That's what everybody usually does. You focus on the details, you're like, what, what do you say? Earthquakes? Wars? Rumors of wars? Pestilences? COVID? I knew, I knew it. I knew it. Right? We do this. Like, we're like taking notes and trying to figure out. And he's like, mm-mm. Don't worry about the details. You come close. Rather than worry about what everything means, in these verses, we should be asking, how can I make a personal, this is a weird question, I know, but this is what came to my mind. How can I make a personal connection to catastrophic world-changing events without flipping out? How can I make a personal connection and be like, all right, I know where I am. I know what's going on here. Jesus gives a phrase there, and it's meant to steady you in this. You have to look for it. But he says in the middle of all those details, you know what he says? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. How can I not be afraid? I remember as a boy sleeping in on Saturday. It was awesome. Back when I was being tucked in, in my PJs. And just this confidence that I had in my home in the bed that I slept in. And I remember you wake up and there's no alarm. It's Saturday morning. And what I'm thinking about is cartoons, right? How long will my mom let me watch cartoons until she makes us do something? Um, and I wake up and I smell bacon. Yes. You, you know, you're just like stirring awake. What is that? <gasps> it's bacon. And then just a little 
tinge of something sweet like maple syrup also wafting up the stairs. And I come downstairs and I'm wiping the sleep out of my eyes and yawning. And my mom pulls me in and she's like, morning. Hey, I love you. And I see my dad and he's making pancakes. And that was Saturday, making pancakes. There's bacon, there's maple syrup. And in my world, everything's good. Everything's okay. It's like, huh, look at this. I got up and there's pancakes and bacon and maple syrup and my parents are here. And what I felt like the Lord was telling me as I read these things was, Chad, while you sleep, I'm working on things. While you slept in your sin and brokenness, I was making pancakes. I was frying bacon and I'm ready to bring a feast to you. We were talking about this passage with teaching pastors this week and Joe, Pastor Joe just said, to, he said, oh, it reminds me of Psalm 23. He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You'd think he would say, he hands me a sword and gives me the ability to really beat up my enemy. But it says, no, we're gonna eat. You're gonna be in the middle of war, in the middle of chaos, and I'm gonna lay out a table with amazing food. You're gonna be able to feast in the middle of difficulty and chaos. Jesus' message right away at its core is that you know him even if it's awful, that you know him when it all hits the fan, that you can say, I know the real Jesus, not the fake one. Because he even says it, he goes, there's gonna be people come and they're gonna say, hey, I'm Jesus. And you may say, well, no, I've never had that happen. Well, let me give you a few examples of how it might happen in a way that is relatable to you. Like this, where somebody picks up this book and says, you know what Jesus said here? I don't think he meant that. I mean, I know the church has kind of said he meant that for 2,000 years, but it's 2021. Let's advance. That's not really what he means. Could that be a form of a new Jesus, a fake Jesus? I think so. Or you should abandon that real devoted part of you that believes in the supernatural and resurrection and Jesus coming back and, oh, come on. That's another Jesus. Or how about this one? You know what? You should just really believe in you. You be you. You decide what's right for your life. Nobody can tell you. You decide. Is that a false Messiah? Why, yes, it is. Jesus says there's going to be many opportunities for you to believe in another version. Don't fall for it. Do we know him? The events and details ultimately won't matter if you do. They won't, if you know him. Well, I still can't get my arms around it, Lord. How can it be more personal? Let's look at verse 12. Before all of this stuff, here's a fun one. Put this on your coffee mug. They will lay hands on you. Put that where you're like, hey, they're gonna lay hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You'll be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This is going to be your opportunity to bear witness. So settle it beforehand. Don't think about what you're going to say. Settle in your minds not to meditate beforehand how you're going to answer. For, I'm going to give you a mouth 
I'll give you wisdom. None of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict you. You're going to be delivered up even by parents, brothers, relatives, friends. They're going to turn me in for following Jesus. Some of you are going to be killed. You're going to be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Now he gets specific here. So let's jump in and we'll talk about it in a minute. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, they know that it's, des- they know that it's desolation has come near. Let those who are in Judea run for the mountains. Let those who are in the city get out of the city. Let not those who are out in the country even think about coming back in the city. Stay away. It's bad. These are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, there will be great distress upon the earth, wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword, be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Gulp. Right? That's not encouraging, is it? You can understand why people try to figure out what everything is. And I think they try to figure out what everything is so that they can avoid it. If I know the charts, if I know where I am, then I can run and hide. I can be away from these difficult things. Jerusalem surrounded. When we look at this, it's, it's tempting to want to decipher what everything is. But you know what he's really asking for you to do? Be ready. Just be ready for it to come. How's this for personal? They will lay hands on you. Well, Jesus, that's not exactly what I was hoping for. Why do they do this? Why is this going to happen? Very simple. You follow Jesus, you're eligible for this. It's a bonus package. Follower of Jesus, this is why this will happen. Deciding to follow him will bring consequences. So quickly, two ways to look at this passage. One, there was a near fulfillment that happened in 70 AD in Jerusalem when Jesus was looking at those stones. Guess what happened in 70 AD? Rome came in and actually did knock every single one of them down. Josephus was a historian. He said this, a million Jews were killed, nearly 100,000 taken captive. And some argue that Josephus was a bit of one to exaggerate, but either way, pretty bad. They were cooking children for food. Whoa, that's awful. So that was the near fulfillment. A future fulfillment hasn't yet happened. So a lot of times you have this, this then and the not yet of the prophecy. So astonishing stuff, scary stuff, intimidating, and yet tucked into the middle of all of those awful things, including people cooking children. It's awful. Jesus says this, yet this will be your moment. This will be the moment that I have set aside the time, the point, the purpose of your life. We like to define things around here as most important. You've probably heard us. You heard James say it there. Jesus is the most important person in the room who speaks the most important words you could ever hear, whose story, just like we're saying in Luke's gospel, it's the most important story to know in the world who's accomplished the most important work through the gospel. And we talk about an event in the future. Yes, it will be the most important event, the return of Jesus. Until then though, 
And that little clue in the middle of the passage, what about us? What is the most important thing we can do? What is your most important role as a follower of Jesus? Your voice, your life lived out, an opportunity for somebody who's drowning to hear you speak the good news of Jesus. And you're not the helicopter. Honestly, I don't even think you're the person falling down. I think you're more just like the cable and the hook. The Lord's like, can I use you? Great. We got to go down and get somebody. Your voice to speak. Notice where it's happening though. In the middle of the worst events ever. That you can be a voice for other people. And he says it, verse 13. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Acts, he says, you will be my witnesses. Now that's personal, isn't it? Yes. It is. I write sometimes in my notes, uh, prayers and or thoughts and or um, disagreements with the Lord. (laughs) And I just wrote, I'm not sure I can do this. I can do this. This is easy. I mean, it's not easy, but this is like easier than if things are all hitting the fan and people are trying to kill me and people are wanting to punish me for following Jesus then to speak. I'm not sure I can do that. But Jesus says, no, 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 it will be your opportunity. Theologian Daryl Bach says that sometimes the most effective witness happens in the crucible of faith. The crucible is where you melt down things to bring out impurities. And could we all say that at least at the beginning of difficult things, like at the beginning of COVID, at the beginning of 9-11, when things were bad, what is everybody a little more open to? Spiritual things, right? Right? I remember 9-11, everybody went to church. Everybody went to church. Everybody was praying. And then after a couple weeks, we're like, no, let's go kill them. Like, I mean, it's like, change your tune real quick. But Jesus uses difficult moments to open people's hearts. And he says, and I want you to speak. I want you to be the one. I just read this week about somebody in culture doing this. The CEO of Intel this past week said that he was a follower of Jesus. I remember reading the story and I was like, whoa, that's bold out there in front of everybody. And he said, and I'm, I'm concerned because it doesn't seem that Christians are allowed to say that anymore. Everybody else is, but it doesn't seem like we have then. So I want to make sure that Christians also have the right to say that they follow Jesus. I wouldn't be surprised if it's not long before he's fired. Right? Now, what is he talking about? Religious freedom. We have this in our country. It's important, but it's not most important. What happens if we don't have freedom to speak about Jesus? You're describing the situation for many countries in the world where followers of Jesus risk their lives to say, they follow Jesus. My question for me and maybe for us is to say, if that happens here, will we still speak? Or will we just get out and pound the drum about religious freedom? Now, it's not a bad thing. It's a noble thing to care about religious freedom. It doesn't ruffle feathers, actually. Kind of sells everywhere. You be you. You be yourself. I'll be myself. We all can have our own thing. I'm a Christian, but I don't mind if you're something else. I'm not going to get in your face. Did you know that's actually counter to the very message of Jesus and the gospel? 
The message of Jesus in the gospel says that he is the only way to salvation. He isn't one of many options. He's the only option. That's, that's what he says. Let me say this another way. If the only thing you fought for your whole life was religious freedom, the right for anybody to say anything about who they follow. I remember even after Princess Diana died, there's actually a Princess Diana church. You can worship her if you'd like. You can find it online. Anybody should, yeah, anybody should be able to say anything they want. Though that may be a noble cause, if you do that your whole life, you will have missed your most important role and disregarded Jesus' purpose for your life, which is to speak of him, to lead others to him, to let them know that he does have an exclusive right to their life. That is the message of the gospel. And they actually don't have the right to follow anyone else. Now, I'm not saying that you're supposed to go into downtown Winona or La Crosse or Rochester or Houston or something like that and say, Jesus has a claim on your life. And if you don't follow him, you're going to die. <laughs> I did my part. Now, I was just reading this week in Timothy and Paul talks about several times speaking the truth with gentleness, which I don't think gentleness can really happen unless there's relationship stuff going on. There's conversation. So don't boil it down to one moment of going out and telling everybody they're going to burn. But it is the message of the gospel that he is the only way. It's either him or judgment away from him. And still saying, and I know that you're the Lord and what you are doing is right in sending me to eternal condemnation. That's what the gospel says. But, and I've said it too. I've even, I was thinking about it this week. I've talked to people and I'll be like, well, listen, these aren't my words. These are Jesus words. And he's like, I live in you. You're supposed to speak for me. Don't just pan it off to the side. Like take, that's the easy way out. Hey, listen, this is what the Bible says. It's not me saying it to you. If I'm a follower of Jesus, I believe in it. And I want to tell people, not be a jerk about it. So listen, if we're not willing to do this, to obey him, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? Why, why? I think about, and this is an image that the Lord gave me this week of what this looks like. I, I love, I read the book, Band of Brothers, and I watched the series after it came out. And they tell a story in there about a battle in France where People are hiding behind buildings. There's snipers, there's stuff going on. And there's somebody down in the middle. And this chaplain just walks right out in the middle, kneels down, like not even ducking his head. He's sitting there and he's listening to the guy. He's praying with him. And the guys are like, look at this. What's going on with this? And there's no guarantee that obviously you wouldn't be hurt. But I think that is the message. That guy's not interested in fighting there or here. He's interested in helping that person who's dying. That's the image. How do you have such confidence and peace in the middle of what will appear to be crazy chaotic events? Verse 17, you will be hated. That's chaotic by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. Obviously, he's not talking about physical hair because a lot of us have lost some of it already. <laughs> Lord, it's, that didn't work. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about eternal things. Eternal things. You will be safe in me. One other word of encouragement before we move to the next verse. He says, until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. What does that tell me? It tells me there's a plan. 
tells me there's a plan that is unfolding and Jesus actually knows the end of that time. He knows when that will be over, both for the near fulfillment, which was Rome, and the future fulfillment for the whole world when we'll actually watch our own cities start to crumble. According to the Lord's will. Verse 25, there will be signs in sun and moon and stars on the earth, distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. Powers of the heavens will be shaken and it all leads to this point. And then if you could hear emphasis in scripture, that would be like, and then they will see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So some more specifics in there, the distress of nations, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. When it all hits the fan, people will faint with fear. That sounds like old time. It's like, oh no. You know, like where people are doing this. We don't even know, but obviously it's telling you it's going to be so bad that people won't even be able to take it physically. Things will be shaken. And then the purpose for all of this, Jesus comes back. They will see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Here's my question. Where will you be when Jesus returns? Where will you be? Will you be able to lift up your head. Jeremiah in the Old Testament, similar situation where he was telling them similar things about Babylon was gonna come and capture Jerusalem. They hated what he said. They hated it. He was obedient. He kept speaking. He kept telling them what God was saying, which we should as well. So they threw him in a well. He's like stuck in the mud down there waiting. And he's like, I'm still gonna tell you what he told me. And they said, like, get him out of there. And then they throw him in a prison. He's still like through the bars. I'm still going to tell you what he's telling me. And then all of a sudden, here come the Babylonians. They're coming into the city. And he's like, see, I told you. And there's a phrase in the scripture that I read this week. And it said, and Jeremiah was right there when it happened. In his place, in his spot. So there's my question. Where will you be? And the statement is find your spot for the return of Jesus. Find your place, a place of utter peace and confidence in the middle of catastrophic events. How will we do this? It's for sure a physical place in time and history. Can I encourage us to stop saying something? Stop saying it's going to be awful for our kids. Oh, the younger generation. I don't even know how they're going to do it. This place is just all going to hell in a handbasket, right? Stop saying that. The Bible says different. The Bible says that your kids, those who are young right now, what a time to be alive. What an amazing place to be. He set the boundary lines for me. He's put me in a pleasant place. I have a purpose on this earth. It is to serve Jesus. He decided they would be born now. So it's a physical place. It's historical, but it's also a spiritual place. Remember the question in Genesis? What does God ask Adam and Eve after they sin? Where are you? not physical, spiritual. Where is your heart? Where's your spot for the return of Jesus? Take a look at this picture. It's of a guy named Edrin Smilovich. Vedran, sorry, Vedran Smilovich, a musician made famous during the Bosnian conflict in 1992. The city was under such duress 
chaos, they could have read Luke 21 and been like, yep, right here, we got it. It's happening right now in Sarajevo. Just to go get water for your family. People were getting shot in the head. Okay, just to get water. Snipers, awful stuff. A bomb or a mortar was dropped and hit and killed 22 people. So this guy, Vedran Smilovich, decided to take his cello out for 22 days straight. And he sat on top of the rubble and he played beautiful music in front of snipers and everything. He survived. To me, that is the picture. It's a believer in Jesus making beautiful witness, a beautiful witness of music for Christ in the middle of chaos. You be faithful, obedient in your spot. Be obedient and faithful to Jesus so that when everything is hitting the fan, verse 28, you can straighten up and raise your head and say, I knew it, it's coming. I have been sitting here waiting for this. Come on, Lord. We've been waiting for you. I love this. And man, do we need more of this. We need resilience and courage from believers right now. We need those who sit on the rubble heaps of the world with snipers taking pot shots, but you're playing the Jesus song with your life and your words. That's what we need. Jesus finishes with a simple illustration because he doesn't want you to get lost in the details. And he's so good and so kind to say, ah, let me just say it this way. Verse 29. So he tells him a parable. You know, I said all that other stuff and it's kind of crazy and intense and I know that. So, but let, look at the fig tree. Look at that fig tree. Because you know, people were listening to him like, this is, he's like, okay, well, let's just talk about trees for a second. Mm-hmm. Look at the fig tree. Look at all the trees. Look at all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves, you know, summer's, summer's close. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away. And he's not meaning that gener- generation. He's meaning the generation that begins to see these things won't pass away until everything has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away. My words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. Dissipation is just, it's a word for just wasting everything. You just waste it all. And then that day comes on you like a trap. And you're like, I didn't know. It will come. Listen to the Lord's words. It will come. You have maybe people here saying, nah, not gonna. It will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the son of man. And the last two verses there just give us Jesus resolve to play his own cello. He kept coming to the temple last week of his life. He keeps coming glutton for punishment. Yeah, I'm going to actually be killed. He keeps coming at night. He goes and he sleeps at the Mount of Olives, but then in the morning, he's right back right back in the temple, teaching again. People are getting more and more angry and he knows what's coming. So the fig tree example should be an encouragement to us. So we live in Minnesota and Wisconsin. We know that sometime in what, June? (laughs) When, When we finally see the trees like, okay, is it okay to come out now? You know, we see buds and we see leaves and we're like, it's all right. Okay, dare we turn off the boiler? You know, and you do what everybody does it every once in a while. And only the people who've lived here a long time are like, 
They're shaking their head at you like, now you're going to turn it right back on tomorrow. But sometimes we do. We turn it off. It's like, yes. And all the Minnesotans and Wisconsin people come out in their shorts and everybody's like, what are you doing? But this should encourage us because we get that. We look at that and what do we say? Yeah, warm weather's coming. What's he trying to say? I'm not trying to give you cryptic stuff where you're like, wars and rumors of wars and pestilences and famines and like pregnant mothers and nursing babies. Like he's not trying to do that. He's trying to say, you're going to know. What's the most important thing? Have your spot. Be close to me. Be watchful. He states it plainly. When you see these things taking place, you're going to know that the kingdom of God is near. Well, can I trust you, Lord? Can I trust what you're saying? Yeah. Verse 33, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Watch yourselves. And then verse 35, it will come. It will come. So will we be ready? How can I be ready? Simple, stay awake. Stay awake. Jesus' words did come true. 70 AD, that temple went down. Not one stone was left on the other. So the people that were there were like, huh, that happened. I wonder if we can trust what he said about everything else. So simple thing, but yes, his words came true there. You can trust him otherwise, but he asks us to stay awake. And we're just gonna, we'll finish with this. When I thought about this, I actually immediately thought about the disciples falling asleep when he said to stay awake. We're gonna get there eventually in Luke, but he's like, I want you to stay awake. And they're like, okay. <laughs> he comes back, he shakes, I need you to stay awake. And they're like, okay, we're just uh, tired. And I was like, Yep. That's exactly how I feel. That's what I feel when I hear the Lord say, stay awake. We eventually fall asleep. Disciples didn't stay awake. Isn't this a fail? When you hear, you better stay awake. Don't take Jesus' words as a cue for you to get like super religious. I am going to work hard for you, Jesus. I'm going to stay awake. I will not go to sleep. Let your prayer be this. Jesus, you stayed awake for me. I was asleep and dead in my sin and you were awake making pancakes, kingdom pancakes, but pancakes, good stuff, good news, gospel news. I'm going to rest in that. I'm going to trust in the gospel. I'm going to be found in you. Wake up to Jesus is I think what you could hear for stay awake. Wake up to the fact that he is the one you must be found in. And know that even as he stayed there and kept playing the cello of the gospel with his own life, it was for you. It was on your behalf. Stay awake, Jesus, for us. Stay awake for us. He did. He did. His answer to our questions, how can I get a personal connection? Jesus says, it's me. How can I, you use my voice maybe as a hook and a cable coming down to somebody that's drowning? He's like, stay close to me. What, 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 where can I find my spot for your return? I'm not going to make sure. He's like, be found in me. Lord, how can I stay awake? Your king, your savior, the Bible tells us, God neither slumbers nor sleeps. He's working on your behalf right now. Even if you're resisting. How about this? This is crazy. Even if right now you're resisting, you're like, no. I wish this guy would shut up. I'm hungry. I want to watch football. Jesus is working He's working on your behalf. That's how amazing he is. And I'll just say this, because that's why we're here. If you haven't yet, give your life to him. Wake up to Jesus today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the 
I won't say sweet, but kind of difficult story. I find it very interesting, Lord, the closer you got to the cross, the closer you got to the violence that would be poured out on your body and your spirit, Lord, the more intense your words became. But within them was this real sweet call just to say, don't be afraid. I've got you. Lord, we ask for grace and courage to build our lives on you, Jesus to see that you're worthy of every moment that we have. God, as we finish here and just uh, sing one more song together, Lord, it actually makes me think of the, when the disciples were with you and it says that they all sang a song together and then they went out into the night and that was the night where you were taken. Lord, very intense, prophetic moments, Lord, would you grab our hearts to speak to us now?